Nobody answered my calls that day. My mom didn't answer my calls, my dad, my siblings, my friends. I tried calling everybody. It was my birthday, you know? Look where I am. Yeah, nobody fucking cares. And these two girls from AA came in and and they said that they would take me home. And they said, tomorrow night we're going to pick you up and take you to a meeting. And I was like, okay, I guess this is my life now. (laughs) That is the voice of Alexis G. She is 36 years old. She is sober since March 13th, 2009. My name is Mike, and this is another episode of Keep Coming Back, Real Stories of Sobriety and Recovery. So sort of by coincidence, um, I go to a lot of meetings, but by coincidence, I was at a few beginners-focused meetings this past week, and I thought I would spend my time today before the interview just sort of talking about what I did just to get to those first 90 days, you know, and not the things, you know, of course, I went to meetings almost every day, and I got a sponsor, and I did sort of the obvious things, but you know, that covered like an hour of my day. And so how was I going to fill the other 23 hours a day? And so I wanted just to talk a little bit about that. So the first thing I remembered is, you know, while there's no rule that says that you have to change your friends when you stop drinking, there's not. And I still have friends to this day that I used to drink with. But for me, in the beginning, at least, it was just too much of a temptation to hang out with those certain party friends in the beginning. And I would make up excuses and I lied as to why I couldn't see them. You know, some of them I wasn't ready to tell that I was sober. Um, And instead, I just would hang out with, you know, people that didn't live that party life, people that didn't call a drug dealer every time we hung out. I definitely used my parents' house, which was, you know, 45 minutes north of New York City as sort of like my makeshift rehab. And I would go up there on like a Saturday night and just randomly say, hey, I decided to stay over. Just again, I had to get out of the city. I had to get away from all the temptations. So that was one. Um, The second thing is sort of related to that. And it's just that I moved around a lot. And here's what I mean by that. The cravings in the beginning can just be overwhelming at times. And it's all I could think about. And for years, it had been easy just to say, fuck it, screw it, I'll quit tomorrow. The problem was I'd been saying that for years. I was alone a lot in the beginning of my sobriety, something I wouldn't recommend, but that's the way it was. And when I was alone and those thoughts would start to creep into my brain that, you know, a few pills would be a good idea, that, you know, watching TV would be a lot more fun if a couple pills were around, um... That was usually impossible to stop that momentum. Like, it would just happen. But I'd heard someone say in a meeting the line, move a muscle, move uh, move a muscle, change a thought. And so I would literally just go for walks. Just anything to get out of that situation. Wherever I was and I was having that craving, I would change where I was. I would get in my car and just drive somewhere. Not really even knowing where I was going. I remember one time I was watching the show uh, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives in a State of Boredom. And they showed this grilled cheese sandwich in Poughkeepsie, New York at some diner. And I decided during a particularly intense moment of cravings one time just to get in the car and drive to Poughkeepsie and eat that grilled cheese. And then I went home and that was my night. But it stopped me from drinking and drugging that night. So the third thing that I wanted to talk about was just sleeping. And I know that seems simple, but... I would go to bed really early, especially those first 30 days, if I could. Um, 
I would start eating a melatonin at like nine or have a tea or a valerian root. I got, I had every herbal sleep supplement you could find known to man. Um, remember, I'd been a daily Xanax Ambien user for 10 years. I always had to drink before bed. Um, and so now in sobriety, you know, I would sometimes even have like a Unisom or a Zequil. It's not something I do now, but just anything, anything, whatever it takes. I believe like you pick one battle out of time. And, and at this point, I just needed to collect days and like fall asleep, just like fall asleep, put the craving to bed, stop thinking about it for a night and just get to bed and wake up the next day with another day under my belt. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about was just remember, I had a lot of time now on my hands. I'm no longer hung over. Uh, my friendship circle has really dwindled. So I needed to do something. And so if I wasn't once the, you know, the withdrawals had gone, uh, I threw myself into exercise. You know, I was literally so bored. It's the middle of summer and I would just live in the gym and I would do it to exhaustion. Again, hoping that would, you know, just be enough to help me sleep. It was something to do. Um, the thing that was a problem was the opposite, like watching Netflix on the couch. That's when my mind would start wandering. Uh, so I tried to do that as little as possible. Instead, you know, just like I said, go to meetings, sometimes two in a day, move around, uh, get to the gym. These are all the things that worked for me. So anyway, that's enough out of me. As a reminder, leave a review uh, if you can. It really does help make the podcast more discoverable. Write something, anything. Uh, and that's it. I'm going to get to my interview today with Alexis G. Are you one of those people, like when you decided that you wanted to get sober, did you get it on the first try? No. No, do you have tissues in here? I'm probably going to cry. <laughs> do you want me to get no, some? No, it's okay. It's better to not have tissues. What happened? What happened when yeah, I... Yeah, because um, I didn't get it on the first try too. But I mean, I'm working with two guys now. Like they're both counting days. And I have this unreasonable expectation that they're going to make it right. on the first try. And then I thought, that's so rare. Right. So did you? No. I don't even know what the first try was. I mean, I just... I have a vague recollection. I'm talking like probably 2006-ish, going into Borders Bookstore, looking at the book, How to Stop Drinking Without AA. That's a real book? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Because I just, I knew, I knew of AA and I knew that it was like a God-driven program and that was just not for me. I'm not going to do that shit. What made you go into Borders on that day, though, and pick up that book? I have no idea. I was in I was in and out of a blackout. I have no clue. You think you were in that, you reading the book drunk? Oh, I was definitely, like, not right. Yeah, I was definitely, like, in and out of, of a blackout. That's why I vaguely recall it. But So, you know, obviously a part of me knew I had a problem at that time, but I didn't get sober for, like, three more years. And I was just drinking in the morning, drinking during the day. I was having seizures from alcohol withdrawal. I was ending up in the hospital. Uh, my family did multiple but interventions were, on me. They did? What did the first one look like? The first one, I was living here. It was 2007. Where are you from originally? Pennsylvania. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was here. I was living on like 83rd and something. I was, obviously my family knew I was really bad. How did they know though? Uh, when I would call home, they knew, you know, and I had gone because you were calling home drunk, or because, I was calling like, home drunk. You were calling home sad. No, I wasn't. I was calling home every time I, they talked to me. I was drinking. Right. I had gone home a few months earlier, and I 
went shopping with my mom. And you know, like parents know. And also my eldest brother really suffered from alcoholism at the exact same time. Mm. So I'm the youngest of five. Wow. And my old, so my oldest, you know, my mom's oldest and youngest are like struggling seriously at the same time. And um, you can tell when someone's drinking. Like my face got super puffy. Yeah. And I was just so unhealthy and gross and it was nasty <laughs> and not taking care of myself and I came home and um, I was working in a restaurant here in New York that I don't even want to mention but it's just a crazy crazy place to work and I'd come home to Pennsylvania and um, I had gone shopping with my mom and I remember cutting the tags off of a dress I bought yeah and um, next thing I knew I was in an ambulance and I was at the hospital what had happened the doctor told me that I didn't have enough to drink that day and I had had a seizure from alcohol withdrawal. And of course my mom just flipped out because my eldest brother had the same problems. So he did you, were you one of those people, did you like carry alcohol with oh, you? Oh, hell yeah. Like a flask? <laughs> a water bottle. <laughs> classic, it was so classy. It was so classy, So you carry Mike. vodka in a water bottle. Of course I've you heard do. so many people do that. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you end up in the hospital. So, yeah, so, so your mom, Here's this news. Obviously, she's disturbed. She, she has sees it there's a history with your brother. Yeah. He, she, was he sober at this point? No. No, my poor mom's been through the ringer. So, yeah, so I ended up in the hospital and somehow managed to come back here. Then a, f a few months later, I got a call from my aunt, my dad's sister, saying that she's coming into town for some sort of convention or something. And would I meet her at 44th and 5th or whatever? I'm mm -hmm. making up a street. And I meet her, and around the corner comes my uncle, my other aunt, and my dad. And they basically said, we're taking you to rehab. And I ran back to my apartment. I think they put me in the car. Again, I'm in and out of a blackout mm -hmm. at this point. And I just remember locking myself in my apartment bathroom and drinking. Like, were they like banging on the hell door? Hell yeah. It was a scene. <laughs> it was a scene. And they dragged me into the car, and I woke up at a treatment program in Pennsylvania. Here's the thing about the situations like this, right, is you probably knew it was bad. I knew it was bad. I was a little better about hiding it, maybe, or or <laughs> my parents were oblivious. Better I don't know. Actor. One yeah. of the two. Sure. Um, I don't want to call my parents oblivious. They get angry. But uh, you knew it was wrong, but... Mm -hmm. You knew you probably didn't want to be doing it. I know right. I wanted to stop. But mm -hmm. then it, when someone was offering you help, you ran away. So why? Because I wasn't ready to get sober. It's that simple. I was having a blast drinking, you know? Was I having a blast in a hospital? No. Was I having a blast having, you know, possibly getting killed, waking up at straight – I mean, waking up in strange places, coming mm. to you on the subway. I remember coming to you on the subway and just being so grateful I had my purse. Right. Stuff like that, you know? Yeah, it was a classic, you don't understand the way I drink. You know what I mean? It was when like, you think about like the good times though, the, good the times. glory years, Yes. what do you think Which of? were very short for me. Were they? Oh, yeah, yeah. My drinking got really bad really fast. And you know, it says it in the big book that women can usually, I think there's a passage in the big book about that, that women sometimes succumb to alcoholism faster than men. It was certainly the case for me because... Uh, yeah, man, I just wanted all the alcohol. I wanted all of it, you know? If someone said to you, like, so what'd you like about it so much? What would you say? Uh, I really, you know, some people are like, I didn't like the taste. I love the taste. I love the taste, too. What was your drink? Whiskey. Mm. Oh all, in all seasons? Any kind of whiskey in all season, any What time. was your favorite? 
you know, at the end, it was just like whatever was cheap, right? right. It was like the bottom of the barrel, right. cheap. Yeah. Um, I loved whiskey. I liked if I I liked I one of Jack the, Daniels, Jack and Coke was my go to. So one of my things I liked Jack and Coke. It was a little sweet. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like even the Jack alone was sweet. For but sure. One of my things was I liked to hang my hat on the fact that like if I could buy fancy whiskey mm-hmm. it meant that like things weren't so bad oh sure you know of what course. I mean yes. same with wine right so there was a whiskey called Oban mm. which I loved and so I would stock that all the time okay that was you were in mode. a different tax bracket than I was or I was just forcing it <laughs> exactly you know? or forcing it yeah. yeah it just made me feel yeah. better like things can't be too bad because look you have fancy whiskey in a fancy glass no absolutely absolutely we tell ourselves lies yeah right? yeah yeah, I mean, I told myself there's no way I'm an alcoholic, even though, like, my family literally came to New York City and threw me in a car and took me to a treatment program. And I told everybody that treatment program to go to hell, that I didn't have a problem. So the intervention went really well. <laughs> but they but they got you in the treatment plan. They got me in. It, it probably to the scene. Oh, for I was there for the extended program. 90 I, days. Yeah, so I was at that program for 30 days, and then they shipped me off to another place in Connecticut for a couple more months. And... At that point, all I knew was the restaurant industry, which is another part of big part of my story mm-hmm. is working in the restaurant industry Same. where, yeah, you know, like there's drugs in the walk-in and there's a bartender giving you drinks up front. Yep. It's fabulous. Yep. And um, so, of course, I went to this other program. You know, I'm getting a job and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, I get another job in the restaurant business and all hell breaks loose and How I long drink again. Do, I always, so I always wonder about this. I never went to rehab. I okay. wish I had. Just refused to admit that mm-hmm. and I didn't also I would have had to tell people sure. that was the problem yeah it was scary I just to call needed my to go I would always you know it's funny something I would always do I would look up like yoga retreats because I would think like they're probably dry they're <laughs> right. far away right those right? people seem healthy right oh and they seem so spiritual mm. and healthy right so I was like maybe if I go to a yoga retreat for long enough bear in mind I think I had done one yoga class my entire life but right. I'm ready to go on a full-on retreat <laughs> right <laughs> yes exactly that's alcoholism just get me away right you know and get me away and lock me down. Sure. But let's not call it a rehab. Right. So when you got when you came back, you went back into the restaurant industry. I always wonder like that first time you pick up a drink, like what's going through your head and what happened? Who the hell knows? I mean, this would have been Was it spontaneous did your arm re- reach out and grab it? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't think about it. Didn't think a second. No, because I didn't think I had a problem at that point. You know, it was all just my mindset was my family thinks I have a problem. I don't have a problem, right? And it was just this constant push from them of like, you need to get your shit together. And me being like, my shit is together. Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm in a rehab. (laughs) This was also during like the Amy Winehouse rehab song, which was hilarious, like 2006, 2007. So... Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I just, refi- I talk about denial and resistance. It was a big part of my story. Big, big, big part. Um, Why do you think the message didn't stick when you're in the rehab, though? I mean, I was taking their own an intervention. I mean, now I look back and I'm surprised I'm not like bawling right now, just like knowing that my family cared that much to like take time out to drive three and a half hours to come get me and like. My uncle, who hates New York City, drove in here and like just just the scheme that they put together yeah. to do this. And the other interesting thing is my dad and my two, two of my eldest siblings didn't speak to each other because of the divorce and blah, blah, blah. And Your my, mom and dad are divorced? Yeah, they divorced when I was three. Okay. And 
my sister who hadn't spoken to my dad in 20 years reached out to him when all this was happening with me to be like, we got to figure this out with her because she's going to die. And that has mended their relationship. To this day. Common common interest. Well, their love of like me. The love of it's you. crazy. Yeah. So, you know, like it's it's sometimes I get goosebumps when I think of that because, you know, I mean, it's just it's it's amazing to me to think that I just told my family, I just told them horrible things. You know, I just told told them to go to hell and they didn't understand and all this stuff. And, you know, yeah, now I talk to them all the time and it's fabulous. You know, I have a great relationship with everybody. Do you I always ask someone this because I've heard some great stories, but I ask you. So if there was one sort of story that summed up your drinking. And what happened and what it was like. Do you have one in mind? Um, a story of what it was like? Like for me, I've talked about, uh, you know, the, the embarrassing wedding speech. The mm. crazy boat ride where I almost ran over a bunch of scuba divers. The near-death experience, you know, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things. Some mm-hmm. are funny, some are scary, most are scary. Mm-hmm. Most of them involve me either endangering myself or embarrassing myself. I had many Many run-ins with the law, many, a couple of DUIs, mm-hmm. ended up in jail. That still didn't stop me. I did not get sober after that. That was in Pennsylvania? Yes. That's what people say when you come to New York City, it's like a blessing and a curse. You can keep drinking because you don't have to drive anymore. Yeah, but after after the intervention and everything, I was then back home after the rehab stint and all that and yeah. relapsing at rehab. How old are you in, in, at, at this, this point? At this point, 24. Okay. Yeah. Are you like, I'm, it's too soon? Yeah, I'm 24. Why right. would I quit drinking? Right. For sure. I'm sure I was thinking all that stuff. You know, it's just anything I could tell myself to keep drinking. So take me on the road then from you get back from rehab, you relapse, till when it finally sticks. So it was uh, March 13th. 2009 which is also my regular birthday i now have my own apartment in pennsylvania and you know i'm not doing well at all like i'm still drinking a ton and at you know at this point i'd taken multiple jobs nobody could keep me i was working at a radio station at one point where i got a dui in the company van (laughs) that was great (laughs) oh god it was it was messy and so for my birthday and so at this point, I can't drive a car in mm. Pennsylvania. Yeah. The state of Pennsylvania is like, we don't want you operating anything. <laughs> okay? And so for my birthday present, my mom says to me, tomorrow, since it's your birthday. So I was riding a bike to work. I was working at a bank. I can't add single digits. Like the whole thing was <laughs> bananas. Like okay. you can ask my family. They were just like, we can't believe she survived working at a bank because I don't do math at all. So I'm working at this bank. Fortunately, it's like two miles away. So you can either walk or bike. And... um my mom called me the night before. Of course, I'd been I was hammered, and she said, "For your since your birthday tomorrow, I'll drive you into work." Mm. Like happy birthday, <laughs> and I was like, "Yay!" So she comes the next day at seven a.m. and I am wasted beyond recognition. No, but let me. Just, of course, going to go into work like this. Yeah, but your family took you to rehab. You came back, and now they're finding you wasted again. So, like, are so you weren't even trying to hide it. Mm-mm. Are they like and also that themselves? was that was the first of three or four rehabs. Like I had been, I was in and out of rehabs after that for the next two years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. There were multiple rehabs and sober livings um, after after the first one. Yeah, because also with you know my all of my court issues, my lawyer was like, "You better get your ass back into rehab mm-hmm. and get your ass into a sober living to prove that you're serious about this." Which of course I wasn't, you know, and I was drinking and doing all sorts of crazy shit and sober living. 
as one does. Right. Do you make good rehab friends? <laughs> uh, you know what? I do. I, I actually do have a couple of really good friends, and that's that's a whole other story. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky to have some rehab friends. So anyway, it was March 13th, 2009. I, you know, stumble out of my apartment. My mom comes to pick me up and I'm in and out of a blackout, but I can hear her sobbing. You know, I just know she's sobbing, which is like par for the course, right? She's been sobbing for years. Mm. Plus, remember, her oldest son is struggling too. And she drives me to the hospital and uh, I detox there on my birthday from about 730 in the morning all day. We had a family friend who was in AA, and he came in just to check in on me. He'd been checking in on me in and out. And the week or two before I was supposed to go to an AA meeting with two of these women that he introduced me to and said, you're going to you know, link up with these girls. And, mm. of course, I blew them off, and they didn't show up at the meeting. Right. And, um, and, you know, nobody answered my calls that day. My mom didn't answer my calls, my dad, my siblings, my friends. I tried calling everybody. From the hospital. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, from, yeah, I had the IV of like the, what do they call it, the banana bag. Yeah. Giving you the, yeah, nobody, uh, nobody took my calls. And then, you know, the doctor finally comes in. He's like, okay, you're, you can be released. I mean, I was in the hospital 12, 13 hours. It was a very long, long day. And these two girls from AA came in and, um, and they said that they would take me home. And they said, tomorrow night, we're going to pick you up and take you to a meeting. And I was like, okay, I guess this is my life now. <laughs> and that was it, you know? That just, was it. That was it. That so was it took no one picking up the phone. I guess there were a lot of seeds planted, too. I mean, at that point, I had known how many bridges I had burned, how many people I had screwed, how many, you know, people who were mad at me, how many... Um, people I disappointed. I think it was a culmination of a lot of things to get me to that point. But certainly, yeah, I mean, it was my birthday, you know? And look where I am. Look where I am. Yeah, nobody fucking cares. But you had gone to AA, I'm sure, a bunch of times. I had gone and I saw the word God on the wall and I was like, hell no. Mm -mm, Not doing that. No, I assumed it was a religious program. I assumed. And that would be bad because I don't know why I was not brought up religious. Me I think neither. that's why it just scared me. Yeah, so it, it like intimidated me. I don't think it intimidated me, but it didn't. This is going to sound bad, but didn't you feel like if you were like a zealot, if you were like hyper religious, I kind of like thought you were. Oh, I don't. Know, I'm going to edit this out probably, but like I thought less of you. Yes, definitely. Oh, for sure. You know, like oh, yeah. you relied on God. Yep. Uh, you bought into the Old Testament and these crazy stories and mm-hmm. you go to these sermons with, in my mind, these priests that are molesting boys. The whole mm-hmm. package mm-hmm. didn't uh, didn't appeal to me. Mm-hmm. And so now you walk in and it's all over the walls and you right. want me to buy into that package. And to me, it, sh- it, it yeah, it, it showed some sort of weakness that you can't totally. get through life on your own. Like, That's what it on, is. That's what it is. It. Yeah, it was a weakness. Yes. For sure. For sure. So I think the whole God thing intimidated me, you know. My dad made made no bones that he's an atheist my yeah. whole life. Like I, we don't go. We only go to church on what do you say? Uh, weddings, wedding, Easter? no oh. weddings and funerals. Oh. Those are the only times we go okay. to church. No, my dad would never go to church on any other. Ho- no weddings and funerals. That's it. And you know, say my mom's spiritual, but definitely does not does not uh, conform to to any kind of organized religion. So, um, so yeah, I was just brought up super unknown. You know, my friends are going to church on Sundays and I'm like, wee, it's Sunday. I don't right. have to do any of that shit. 
So you I get, get another there. day of the weekend. You when suckers. did when did it not seem so unappealing though? Like when did you see that stuff, or did people downplay it as they often oh, do? Oh God, it was years. It took me a long time to come to terms with the whole God thing. There are days I still struggle with it. Not gonna lie. Same. So you what know, do you do? Fake I it? fake it till I make it. Yeah. And I have to believe that other people believe. And I believe that my sponsor believes. And I believe that other women that I really respect in the program believe. In a month, if I don't drink, I'll have 11 years. And I'm like, I still struggle with it. But over the last, I'd say, two or three years, I stopped beating myself up that I start, that I struggle with it. You know, like I've yeah. sort of been like, this is what we were talking about earlier with therapy. It's like, pat yourself on the back that you're just staying sober and you're and you're helping other women and you're doing everything else in in AA that's great. I do pray, I do meditate, I do all of it. What do you think you're praying to? I have no clue. Yeah. I have no clue. Yeah. I struggle with but that. But sometimes a lot. it works. Meaning when I say it works, meaning like here's how I see it in my head in my life, meaning like I prayed this morning and the only prayers I know how to do lately are um like asking for the opposite of all my defaults to be replaced, right? So like I'm an mm. impatient and angry person mm. when I wake up in the morning. And so mm. I ask for patience and I ask to be kind. Okay. And so I notice as the day goes on, at some point in the day, I'm faced with a situation to be either one. Mm. And so it just seems like it tractor beams back to me. Mm. That's where I feel it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like what do you pray for? That's interesting. I mean, I just pray, I always just, I'm thankful for my health and my sobriety, which are, you know, the same but different. I mean, I'm a healthy person. I go to the gym. I am able to make smart choices. My family's health. I mean, those you can't buy health. It's one thing you can't buy. Mm. It, when you have sponsees, do you have a bunch of sponsees? I, I have a couple of sponsees, yeah. So when they say to you, do they ever ask you, what's your higher power? For sure. And I'm say? very honest with them. And I say, look, this is this is a component of AA that I – that I toil with, you know, that yeah. I struggle with. And, um, you know, if, if I'm not giving you what you want in that regard, I get that totally. Mm. And, you know, what I had to do was go sort of interview other women. I did it a lot, you know, especially when I first got sober. And I would just sit down with women with a pad and paper and say, what's your concept of God? You know, and it was amazing to talk to these women. Well, I grew up Mormon or I grew up Jewish or I grew up Catholic. And now that's all gone because I have this – this space where I can create my own. I think it's just overwhelming for me. I, it's just it's just too much. I I'd almost rather someone come down and be like, "Here, this is him. This is the God that you should pray to." Right, it which is so kind of what easier. religion does, though. They're like, it's one of these people. Sure. So well, I, I guess I should get on in it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like at um well one when you talked when we we're just talking about the sponsor thing. So like I picked a sponsor who was having a spiritual experience in that moment mm -hmm. and had a strong foundation of spirituality, mm -hmm. hoping that it would rub off on me. Mm. And now it's funny because it? Uh, it did. It did? It did, cool. yeah. I think I was contagious and he had what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And so I did the things he told me to do to, to get it. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I feel a little fake with my own sponsees though sometimes because I'm telling them to do things and I don't know if I'm necessarily believing them myself. Right. You know what I mean? Right. For but sure. at the rock bottom, like the, my bottom line, like I, you seem analytical and logical person like me. And they have like – they talk about that person in the big book also, the the analytical, logical yes. person. It has to feel really true. Mm -hmm. And so what ultimately always feels true is the idea of like this room of AA 
which is bigger than me, and for some reason helped me get sober, got me sober. And it, it always works, and we're not sure why. And right. that can be the higher power, and that feels always the most true. For sure. For sure. Yeah, using AA is what I did in the beginning. Yeah. Because I just I couldn't wrap my mind around step two. Step one, I was pretty, pretty sure. You know what I mean? At that point, step one, I was like, okay, I've done enough damage to my life. I get it. I understand. But step two, I was like, damn, dude, that's a tall order for a girl who doesn't know anything about God. And, you know, I remember in the beginning talking to my mom about it, and she got really emotional, and she was like, I wish I had, like, instilled something in you. And I was like, no, it's not that, Mom. It's just, you know... It's just a little overwhelming for me. I don't, I don't know what to do with this. And and it's okay that it's overwhelming. Right. You know, I'm so grateful that I've come to this place of acceptance in myself that like it's okay to not know and it's okay to not be perfect with the steps and it's okay to like struggle with all this stuff because you know, we're all struggling somehow. And lately I've been struggling a lot with a lot of different things that you and I kind of talked about before we started this and um Did your brother get sober by the way? He passed away passed away from drinking he had a seizure he had been sober um but he was on a lot of different medications and he definitely struggled with depression and when was that things about six years ago he never was able to get it no when you think about the first 90 days what was the hardest part everything (laughs) i remember my sponsor being like just call me for anything and i would like call her because i like do I have a Pop-Tart or cereal for breakfast? <laughs> I'm like, Tara, I need your help. And she's like, oh, Jesus. And like, I can't make a decision sober. I mean, this is, I've been in and out of hospitals. I've been in and out of blackout for years. I've been, it's like in jail. Like, I don't know what to do, you know? And and I also, I have to, and I say this to everybody, it's, um, you know, for the first year of my sobriety, I couldn't drive, I couldn't drive a car. And had How'd a car, you get to meeting? Had a car, but couldn't drive. Um, I, you know, asked people for help and I would have to raise my hand at the end of every meeting and ask someone to take me home. And then, oh, by the way, can we stop at the grocery store? Cause I also need milk. And like people were so kind, so kind. I mean, I got my first job, my, my first like sober job in AA. This, I started working for a doctor who just saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And he was like, I think you should come help me market my practice. I'm like, I don't know how to market your practice. I don't hmm. even know what the hell you do. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm working for him. And like, it's just like these miracles started to happen, so to speak. So, so yeah, I mean, I had to really humble myself and ask for a ton of help because I couldn't drive a car. I was in rural Pennsylvania. Yeah. You know, couldn't drive a car. Had to ask people to, to drive me around. Had to take public transportation bus. Had to ride my bike. You know, it was it was sucky. And by the way, I shouldn't have had a car for five years. I shouldn't have had a dri- driver's license for five years. And they only did one year, which was probably a higher power thing if i have to admit it (laughs) wink wink what what, when did it go from feeling like you were in detention did it feel like detention for sure yeah so when did it go from feeling like detention to feeling like you actually wanted to be there because i I always liked it even when i would would go and then drink immediately afterwards which i did for a long time Uh i liked the stories yeah yeah so i didn't mind being there yeah I don't know when that happened for me. I, I honestly can't pinpoint it. You know, I obviously started making friends and would go to young people's meetings because, you know, I was like 26, But you're in rural Pennsylvania. Yeah. Is there a wide – I mean, New York oh, is yeah. an insane amount of meetings. Yeah. There's a variety of meetings to go to. Come to find out the town I'm from is like the halfway house capital of the world. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, uh-huh. it's a it's a very well known area for for halfway houses. Right. So there's a ton of meetings and very different meetings. New York has a lot of speaker meetings, but there it's big book. It's as Bill sees it. It's discussion meetings. It's topic meetings. It's you know there aren't there aren't as many speaker meetings, so you're really more into the book there, which yeah. I appreciate it. Now I appreciate that. Um, hence the Thursday meeting. Yeah. Um, and uh, so so yeah no there was there was ample meetings. It was just. I just, you know, that that humility bit me in the ass real hard because I knew I had to ask for help. And at one point, yeah, I got a key to my home. You know, I decided on a home group and they gave me a key. And I'm like, don't you? It was one of those like, don't you know that I'm just a drunk and an alcoholic and like crazy? And I remember my mom like dropped me off at the meeting one night. She was like, they gave you a key. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't really get it. Obviously, now I look back, I'm like, okay, that kept me coming back. That helped yeah. me, kept me setting the, the room up. I did the coffee. I did the room. I did the greeting. I mean, I did everything at that freaking home group for the first, you know, few years. And then, uh, and then, yeah, you know, it just, it just kind of stuck. And I like that they, and it would surprise me that like they would remember my name and they would remember my day count. Yep. I was like, you're listening? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, these people actually care. Yeah. For sure. It's. Don't get me wrong. And also in the beginning, like I was very, like if you wanted my number, I was like, for what? Exactly. Exactly. What (laughs) What do you you want from me? What are you going to do with it? Yeah. This is Pyramid Scheme. (laughs) (laughs) This is Amway. So when did you, okay, so a couple of things. So then how long were you in the rooms before you started doing your steps? Oh, uh, we got to him immediately. You did? Yo, she made she made she made it very clear that I had to do the steps immediately, and yeah, we 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 done we done did them. And do you feel like <laughs> when you know a lot of people talk about you do a fifth, fourth step and a fifth step, and like this huge thing is lifted? Yeah, which really wasn't my experience. Nor mine, nor mine at all. Mm-mm. The only thing I really gained from that, from the fourth, my first fourth and fifth, obviously I've done you know a ton since then, is. I felt comfort in that she had done just as bad things as I had, if not worse. Mm. I'm like, cool. I'm not the shittiest person in the world, right. you know? So um, it it gave me comfort that I was in the right place and with the right women and, you know, and that we're all in the same the same class of people of like right. doing these not crazy things. Saints. Yeah, we aren't saints. We made some mistakes. We did. We made a lot of fuck ups, but, you know, now we're sober and we're helping other people. I asked you to think of a topic that you wanted to talk about today. We kind of hit on it. I think, you know, for me, this whole idea of having faith is something that I'm really, really working hard on. I'm just sort of like in this big transition right now in my life and trying to figure out what my next phase will be with either work or a creative space or some things I want to do. And I I have days where I get really paralyzed and I don't know what I'm going to do and I worry a lot and my anxiety kind of takes over and... I've realized over the last few months, maybe even the last year, that I have to dig deep somehow and find some faith or or look at people who have faith mm-hmm. and figure out how to get some myself because it's a struggle. You know, it's a struggle to it's, – it's not a struggle for me to stay sober. It's just a struggle to, to transition and be uncomfortable. This whole concept of, of – Faith without works is dead, you know, is is something that I've really been thinking of a lot lately and how I'm going to continue to manifest that in my life. Isn't it funny how you could, uh, do you go to a meditation meeting on Sundays? I'm asking. 
Uh, or s- uh, do you go to any meditation room uh, regularly? I do every now and then or I just meditate at home or, or yeah, I'll go to a meditation center. Yeah. Right. So I, the reason I ask is because inevitably at every meditation meeting or 11-step meeting and someone talks about their meditation practice, you're good for – someone's good for at least one or two shares about how they should be meditating more mm-hmm. and that they want to be sure. but that they're not. <clears throat> and so – and that's totally me. I go in waves where I'm meditating every day and then for some reason one day I won't do it. And then I won't do it for six weeks straight. Right. And so... It's hard to get back on that horse. Yeah. And so tell me what you think of this. I heard he was a really young guy. And he said, the reason that I don't want to meditate sometimes, I think, is because I don't want to sit with myself. And the reason I don't want to sit with myself is because at the moment, I don't really like myself. And is that the reason that sometimes we don't want to do that? Of course. Of course. I'm like tearing up just hearing you say that because it's so true, you know, like I don't want to sit and feel my feelings and feel that I feel sad and feel that I feel like I don't know what the hell I'm doing at my age, you know, in my mid thirties trying to figure out what the fuck I want to be when I grow up. And Plus when you're meditating or when I am, it's either I'm thinking about what I'm going to do later or I'm thinking about what I don't like about what's going on in my life. Of course. And my other favorite quote in the big book is pain is the touchstone of spiritual progress. I wish absolute... it didn't have to be. Do you think it has to be? I think it usually I think usually it does. Yes. Like this is I'm going through some sort of spiritual thing right now. I'm sure mm. of it. Yeah. Um I think again, it's about, I don't know what like, that means for me, but it's something. Well, for me, it's like the pain is when things don't go according to a plan that I've made up. Um when people when you qualify meetings now and you have to sort of leave the last chunk of it for like, and here's what life's like today, mm-hmm. what do you usually say? And I know it changes, but if you were good to do that today, what would you say? Oh, God. I would probably say that I have choices now. You know, like I have a choice to go through this transition that I'm going through right now. I have a choice to have a really good relationship with my family. I have a choice to date the people I want to date and not wake up <laughs> with someone next to me I don't know. Um, I have I have a choice to go to the gym every day and 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 do the things that I love. Um, whereas before it was like being in prison. You know, it was just like this grind of I have to drink today to stay alive. I have to drink today to get through the next 20 minutes, hour, whatever, you know, carrying alcohol in my bag, whatever I needed to do to get through the day, losing jobs, DUIs, jail. It was awful. It was terrible mm-hmm. rehabs. Um, so it feels freeing now. It definitely feels freeing, but it's, um, but it's, it's still a grind, you know, life is still life and it still throws curveballs at you and, you know, when my brother died, that was a big, big curveball, you mm. know, and watching my parents lose a son is the worst thing I think that any parent can go through. What's something that you've heard in a meeting that really stuck out to you, like at that moment, like one of the best things that you've ever heard in a meeting? Mm. I remember early on someone who I'm still very close friends with um, in Pennsylvania talked about doing the steps like making a cake. Like you're going to do these instructions and you're going to have a cake at the end, right? Mm -hmm. What's the cake? The cake is, you know, a spiritual awakening Mm. or, you know, freedom of bondage of self or, you know, just just, um, 
a better you, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And I just remember always thinking of the steps as like a recipe, right? You have to do them all and you have to do them in order mm -hmm. and, and you'll, you'll come out as a cake, you know, yeah. or whatever your version of a cake is, you know? And that just always stood out to me of like, you know, you really have to do the work to get the reward. We all like cake. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of cake. Mm -hmm. And every time I do the steps, I'm a better person. Every time I do a, a step four, I'm clearer in my defects of character, right? Um, every time I pray, I get better at it. Every time I meditate, I get better at it. And um, speaking of cake, do you see your it. alcohol i mean sugar is my thing <laughs> sugar is my thing um where do you see your alcoholism manifest without a drink everywhere i do everything at a thousand percent you know that's the nickname right exactly um but thanks to really good therapy and you know i've, I've been able to to curtail that but yeah i mean doing 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 something, you know, doing a project at work, I don't want to just do the project. I'm going to do it a thousand times. I'm not going to just go to the gym once today. I'll go twice. I'm not going to just run five miles. Why not run eight? You mm -hmm. know, it's like my mind is always telling me to do more. Are you one of those people that – are you like a box checker? Yeah, I like lists. I'm a box checker. Yeah, I like lists. I like taking them – yeah. And I'm, and I'm going, going, going. Mm -hmm. Are you good at, though, just sitting around and watching TV? No. You're not? Nope, nope. Nope, nope, no. I will never sit on my couch and watch television. You can't? Never. You get no, no. joy from that. Uh-uh. I watch Netflix while I run on a treadmill. <laughs> I, I do that too. I love it. What no, is I'm it? not a relaxer. I'm terrible at relaxing. Why though? Because when I get sick, for example, and I'm forced to relax, I'm like, damn, I kind of like this. Oh, I hate being sick. Ugh. But it gives, it's forced to Forces slow down. you to slow down. Yeah. I hate relaxing. I'm not good at it. You can't sit on I'm a beach? I'm good at it. I'm, I can sit on a beach, sure. Okay. Sure. I um I can relax at other people's homes. I can't relax in my own home because I'm too distracted. Well, I should be doing this and I should yeah. clean out that closet and I really should, you know, do this or make dinner or I should email that person or I should get on my computer and look for a job or I should, you know what I mean? At home, when I'm in my own home, there is no relaxing happening. What about, um? I'll give you, make this the last one. So when you, I get emails or Instagrams from people and they are often like, they'll say like, oh, like I have like 30 days and I listen to your podcast and it helps. And mm -hmm. those are the best ones. For sure. And so when you, if you were to give someone some like early sobriety advice or like someone who's drinking that's thinking of getting sober but is intimidated by it, what would you say? Um, someone who's intimidated by it, I would say, you know, the whole contempt prior to investigation, check it out first, mm -hmm. meet some people, take people out to coffee, interview people. I'm a big fan of that. Um, and someone in their first 30 days, I would say just start the steps like now. You would, because oh, yeah. I felt, I mean, oh, I'll be you honest. you different, you mm -hmm. wanted to. I was like, this whole thing is very overwhelming. I just want to just not drink. I get That's that. all I want to do. Mm -hmm. And so if you're thrusting work on me, <laughs> <laughs> How dare I'm you. not really ready for that. Right, right. Yeah, I guess to each his own. I, I had to get him. I had to get him in. Again, my thanks to Alexis G for coming on the podcast and sharing her story. As a reminder, if you can, please leave that rating, leave that review. It really does help make the podcast more discoverable to others. If you want to write me, you can. I always write back. It's keepcomingback 
podcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at KCB Podcast. Again, my name is Mike S. This has been another episode of Keep Coming Back, Real Stories of Sobriety and Recovery, and I will see you next week.